This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Dale Rose and Ahanu. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our show today on this. Looks like it's going to be a hot San Diego day, Ahanu. And I've already been out running errands, mailing out my new book. And uh, now we're getting getting to interview a wonderful, wonderful woman who's been on before, Chrisana Duran. We're going to have a lively conversation today about the hybridization of the human race, Ahanu. And I know you're a hybrid. I can tell just by looking at it. <laughs> I think we're all hybrids. I know. Isn't this something we're going to have to come to terms with and we're going to find out about today from Chrisana Duran, who's also an author. And I have to say about the author business, you should have seen Angel Rose's face when she received the copy of her second book. Now, when somebody receives the copy of their first book, there's a thrill and excitement that runs through you. And it's it's just it's amazing. It's just so uplifting. It's delightful. And Chrisana, of course, will know all about that because she has several books under her belt. But Angel Rose yesterday received her second book called The Nature of Reality. And I'm telling you, she was over the moon. Absolutely <laughs> thrilled. Yes. And rightly so, because it is one absolutely wonderful book, a book you can't put down answers questions about some amazing things about the nature of reality, who we are and why we're here and where we're going and all of that kind of stuff. And it's really, really riveting. It's the kind of book that you want to just keep going, keep going, going, and you don't want to put it down. So she is on a roll, ladies and gentlemen, on a roll through the universe. And Ahana's on a roll as well, everyone, with his his own book, which is out now and is also a very riveting read. Uh, anyone who's read it has commented back that it made them cry, made them laugh, just about every single emotion you could imagine, and his is the reincarnation of Columbus. So congratulations to you too, Ahano. Yeah, well, we didn't intend that to be one great plug because... No, we didn't, did we? (laughs) We kind of got out, you were telling me what a child I I was yesterday, seeing my second book, and there is something very exciting for anybody out there who wants to write and is hesitating There is something very exciting about putting your work down in print. And you do mention Krasana's many, many books. And uh, she's a wonderful, incredible researcher as well as an intuitive. And her her stuff is cutting edge as well. So, Ahano, I think we should... Uh, do we have any announcements first? We do. We've got several announcements, Angel Rose, because the time is coming upon us very shortly when we are going to visit... That little land of Ireland, the fairies and elementals are calling us and we want to go back to the ancient megalithic tombs and the amazing earth energy places throughout Ireland and restore our own energy and reconnect with the earth and the energy that's there. But also, just before we do that, we have a wonderful workshop coming up that has been amazingly popular and, of course, transformative. And that's Angel Rose's own 
Akashic Records workshop, how to read the Akashic Records. And that's coming up in June in San Diego. So if anybody wants to know about that, or indeed, if you want to find out about the our books that we mentioned earlier, whether it's my own one, The Reincarnation of Columbus, or Angel Rose's two books, A Time of Change or The Nature of Reality, simply go to worldofempowerment.com or angelrose.com. And let me spell that for those of you who are new and don't under or know the actual spelling of her name. It's A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E. So it sounds like Anne and Gail together with Rose tacked on the end of it. And it actually is the Irish name for Angel. And that she is. Oh, the hound, that's enough <laughs> pushing me this morning. I don't know what got into him. It must have been the food he ate. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, though, Ah, You're very welcome. So We do have a tarot class coming yeah. up, too. Yes. On June 24th in San Clemente, California. If anybody's interested in coming to a beginner tarot workshop for the day, it will be a lot of fun, and you will also learn a lot. Okay. Yes. That's we have it. the tarot. No, we have something else. Uh, we just have the Ireland Akashic Record Workshop. That's in July. I think it's either 11th and 12th or 12th and 13th. 12th and 13th of July. Yeah, that could all be found under the events page on World of Empowerment as well if you're in Ireland or Europe and you want to attend that. Uh, do sign up, though, because I am watching the amount of spaces and we've got a good crew now, but we do have room for a few more. Okay. Okay. I think that's it. We're going to get Chrisanna Duran on right away. And But for, before we do, let me just read a very, very quick little bio. Because every time I read this, I have to say I am so impressed with Chrisanna Duran. Because she's an ancient alien researcher. And she's written a book that explains the galactic frequencies and changes in the core of the earth. It's called The Web of Life and Cosmos, Human and Bigfoot Ancestors. And it's written as a primer to learn the time star. And in the book, she examines the chaotic genesis of civilization and Bigfoot's DNA mutation. Now, she was on the show with us July of 2013, where we were talking about Bigfoot. And then she also was on last February. And we had a riveting time discussing Bigfoot and all about what scientists know or don't know about Bigfoot. But they consider it to be a combination of folklore, misidentification, hoax. And because of the lack of physical evidence and the large number of creatures that would be necessary to maintain a breeding population. But there are a few people like Jane Goodall, Grover Krantz and Jeffrey Meldrum and a few others who've expressed interest and some measure of belief in the creature. Well now, Chrisanna Duran is back with us as our special guest today, and she certainly believes Bigfoot exists, but we're going to go in a slightly different direction this time now and talk about the hybridization of the human. Human hybridization. So, Chrisanna, come on and talk to us. Good morning. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, and I... I Congratulations on your book, on your second book. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's probably old hat it's to you, awesome. isn't it, when you get a copy of your book? You're probably used to it by now. A little bit, yeah. yeah. But um, I also want to mention to you before we start that I have been listening to your Akashic Records, uh -huh. the Akashic Records sessions that you do, and really, Angel, I am just blown away by them. 
Oh, thank you. Thank because you. We're all blown yeah, away, Chrisanna. So much information. I would like to get to a point where I could get a little bit more detail on history. And I was just saying to Ahana last week that I think I would like to start a project where I actually go back into particular years and history of maybe focus on Egypt first or something just to see what what kind of sequence I can get for the history and the evolution and I would I think I'd like to do that with a lot of different things about our history because there's so many missing pieces but you probably have a lot of the pieces to the history that I'm not aware of I do have some pieces but uh if I may just uh the last thing in your in the last session that I listened to cuz I get the um tapes you send out <laughs> I just have to tell you a story that was absolutely floored me because someone asked you who was Sananda mm -hmm. and you you looked at the records and you said well Sananda was a was a consciousness that we created that yes. doesn't mean he's not real yes and there <laughs> is a lot of light there yes but it's a consciousness we created right well, the reason that was so stunning to me is that in a lot of particularly um, uh, space channels, I call them space channels, they are channels who, who channel the space brothers. And the uh, Ashtar Command is one, one prominent group that does that. Right. And among them, Sananda is this, is Jesus. He's the next Jesus, right? Uh -huh. And and I I am not a channel. Um, I respect channels, a good channel. People don't really understand what channeling is in its origin because it started with the UFO movement, and it's actually a communication technology that the um, UFO and ETs use, and it's like a radio. And when you're getting, it's called tensor technology, and when you're getting a transmission, it's not, a, it is psychic. You have to be psychic to, to receive and to understand what it's saying, but it's really just literally like getting a radio transmission. And then people come along and they start channeling their aunt or someone. You know, and it's just not this, but the uh, spiritualists really like the term channel. So mm -hmm. they started using it. Now there's this huge confusion between the original ET UFO channels and what were basically mediums. Um, like Edgar Casey never called himself a medium and he, I mean a channel. Never. I checked. I, I, I checked several times. He was a medium, and he was a trans medium. He was not a channel in the sense that the UFOs introduced it. Well, then the spiritualists liked the word channel, and they all became channels um, instead of mediums. Before mm -hmm. the UFO movement, they were mediums. Then they became channels when they heard that term used, and it was first used, by the way, by George Van Tassel, which is one of the UFO contactees I, I want to tell you about today. Um, 
anyway, I unless I, you know, if I'm dealing with a 100% genuine tensor channel, um, I, I I know that that's that is a powerful transmission. But so many people have become channels now, and they and they're not really tensor channels; they're just mediums, and they channel or they or they tune in as mediums with all these different characters, right? Um, and, and, and that is where Sananda first appeared. And I, I was pretty much unimpressed with it. Right. Personally. Me too. But I, I have my own contactee. I have my own UFO contacts. And they told me, one of them told me that his name was Sandy. I said, God, that is a weird name. Mm-hmm. You know, where did you get get that name? He says, well, it's short for Sananda, which just stopped me 100%. Oh. So I <laughs> looked up Sananda, and what I found out is that Sananda is a Sanskrit word that is a state of consciousness called, it's a samadhi. Mm. Um, and there's four main samadhis. And, and Sananda is one of those. And it is, it is not an individual. It is not a person. It is in the Sanskrit literature, a state of consciousness. So right. that was really stunning. Right. Yes. When I heard, heard that in the Akashic record reading. <laughs> yeah. Good. I know I have uh, my own feelings about channeling, but that's another conversation, I suppose. Can I just mention here, Chris Anna, that yes, you mentioned that you were blown away by the information, and so are a lot of people. And I continue to be blown away also while I sit here and ask the questions and I'm witnessing these amazing answers that really are they're like they're like love's answers to life's deepest questions is what they are. And you really feel as right. if you're coming, you know, you feel as if you're going to a higher place with the answers because they're not they're out of the ordinary and you know that they're not channeled in the sense of you know like you mentioned that uh, there are a lot of people who are being deceived into believing that they're speaking with certain individuals and that is is not the case so we caution people all the time to be very very discerning about who you're speaking to in the spirit world. We we believe that is a huge deception that's going on. And it's very, very necessary really to, what we say, um, go inward and go upward and speak to your own higher self, not some other individual who has an agenda. The reason why I wanted to comment on that was because one of the most popular uh, sessions that we've done in the past was about the famous deceased and we're doing a session this Sunday uh, tomorrow actually called famous deceased because a lot of people feel they can't access the spirit world and they do want to know about certain individuals and in that case we we have great fun exploring you know where is JFK now for example or you know where is Gandhi and where's Hitler and what are they doing and so on and that is a really interesting exercise because what we found is some of them have no interest in being around at all and some of them do but they're quarantined for example now well Hitler for example is quarantined but 
what I'm getting around to saying, though, is when you talk about big beings, and I'll just, you know, <laughs> please forgive the language here, but like say big beings like Jesus or Sananda, as you say, a lot of times we have actually created them as opposed to them being physical beings that walked on the planet. And that's a really interesting difference because when you try, when you tune into them, you get a whole different scenario. You don't get the idea that they had a physical body and that they were, they're looking to come back in again. You get the distinct idea that they are very much a consciousness, that they are an influence or that they are love based and that they are inspiring in that way. Do you understand the point I'm making? Right. I absolutely do. That is a point that that is um, an issue that the time travelers explained to Ida Cannonberg back in 1978. They did a whole list of all the different kinds of entities. Um, and, and, and there's the archetypes. And then there are these entities that we create with our own consciousness. Now, our consciousness creates them as entities. So on that level, they are genuine entities, but they're, they're in, uh, genuine identities. Mm -hmm. Jesus is one of them. Right. And so I, I totally understand what you're saying because that is what the time travelers talked about in 1978. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fantastic. So... Uh, the power of our consciousness, and the other thing that absolutely amazed me that you said, I don't know if anyone else has ever mentioned this, but the archons, you talked about the archons in one of the sessions. I think that was last week. Somebody asked that question last week. Yeah. And the archons, what you said about the archons is exactly my understanding of them. They, they are not entities. Right. The way we are. Right. But And they are directed by some other force. It's almost like there's an artificial, it's almost like they're artificial intelligence, that they are, they're, they are generated by some source and they are directed by an artificial intelligence. Exactly so what I, I got. I mention that. Yeah, I did get that and I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't quite place who was behind it but maybe maybe source just didn't want to go into it but i did definitely felt that they were being directed by something else behind them yeah and and i believe that that is an artificial intelligence and a huge part of the problem we're having as a society right now as a culture we're in this huge transition and we're coming from a point of really honestly Ignorance, and I, I don't say that judgmentally. We simply have been ignorant. Like children are ignorant until they learn something. Right. So we've been in a, a childlike state. We're kept in ignorance. And <clears throat> we are now in, in a step-up process where this consciousness is coming in so fast and so hard that we simply do not understand it. And we don't have a consensus. Our culture does not have a consensus, for example, of what a sacred science is or what is a physical science. Mm -hmm. And so the physical scientists want to get down and arm wrestle about which is the true science. 
you know, and it's really ridiculous, in mm. my opinion. Yes. It's ridiculous because it just comes from sheer ignorance. Yes. And we're going to be in this state. We're going to be in warp speed um, assimilation for 100 years because we've been so isolated mm-hmm. and been quarantined. I, I just want to kind of turn this in the direction of the human hybridization, Chrisanna. When you consider how marvelous the the human being is, and you talked about, you know, our ability to to be aware and our consciousness and our ability to manifest and create and all of that, but yet how much in ignorance we are at the same time. Can you go back in time for us and for the benefit of our listeners and help us understand why we would have been made ignorant in the first place? Or was it the case that we were enlightened and then dumbed down? Or what was that sequence? So that, and bring us all the way up to the present day and why any kind of hybridization would have taken place in the first place. Can you give us a kind of a broad sweep of a huge amount of time in history for us to understand it? Okay, I, I, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, first of all, I want to mention that on my webpage, atlantisphoenix.com, I have a link called ET Human Hybrids. And I have a list of all of our topics, and I have um, links to the various, to several different aspects of it, including a three-parent embryo. I don't know if you've been following the progress on three-parent embryos. It is the cutting edge of our science right now, and it's the and it, where let's say that you have a genetic disorder. You have two parents. One of them has a genetic disorder, but you want the the child to be the child of both parents. So now it's it's and I I I'm just gonna really take a lot of liberty here with the science, but it's almost like you can they now have the capacity to um, splice almost like splice and replace. Uh, uh, the problematic genes, and and so that the gene replacement would be the third parent. I've got an article there. The oh. article I copied it off of CNN. I mean that is what we're doing now. And in Great Britain, in last year they were debating the ethics of three parent babies. Huh. So, huh. um, and and that's very very important. Okay, the ability to do this and why you would do it, because we start out, you know, and we all come out of the divine. We simply do. And we are a spark of awareness. And then from that point of the awareness, we we start a descent. We start building a soul. And the way you build a soul is by using it. You know, you gain, you you have experience, you develop a mind, you develop memory, and and with with the knowledge that you gain through all your experience, the soul starts developing. So then you've got that three part aspect. 
And that's your immortal part. That That is immortal. But the arena, the place where you go to have experiences is the physical world. And um, And when you come out, you know, you emerge from the divine, you 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 acquire your spiritual identity and you start building the soul and and you do that with experience and you gain memory and you gain knowledge. Um it's it's a it's it it is a you go through phases, you know, and, and, and you go through different steps of power like um an amoeba, I mean, I'm just using an amoeba as an example. I don't mean it literally. But it, it, you go through, in your soul building, you go through all the kingdoms, you know, mineral, uh, plant and animal, and and you experience lives. And, and what, you, you know, the memory and the consciousness you're gaining, you're not necessarily aware of. In other words... The awareness, and the way I understand it, the way I apply it, the awareness of all these things comes from that spiritual component. It's the spirit that is aware. And the example I use is that a flower is an enormous uh, genetic production, right? I mean, some plants have more apparently complicated DNA than we do. Right. Um, but the but the flower, and so the flower contains all of those, all the information to be a flower is contained in information fields and in DNA, and 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 it's mind. It's like the mind of the flower contains all this information, and 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 that is really what I call consciousness, based on. Jung's definitions, okay, Carl Jung. So consciousness is connected to mind, but it's not necessarily awareness. Awareness is different. And so you go through all these um, these steps, and um, and the and then you come to the point of self awareness. I mean, real self awareness. And that's where the human mind comes in. The human mind is different than a flower, than a flower's mind, because it has the capacity for self-awareness. And once you, and it, and the other component is choice. A flower has no choice about being a flower, or how it's going to be a flower, right? Hmm. Um. Or what color it is. It's all coming from information that is stored in the DNA. All DNA is ultimately is memory and instructions. Mm-hmm. Memory, information, and instructions. It's not awareness. So, you know, that is what the mind of a flower is, for example. And it's a huge, long process. A develop, you know, going through all these different levels of experience. At what stage do you think that this this consciousness was hybridized or changed? 
In humans? In humans, yes. Well, Hanu, I'm I'm going to give you some really big shocks. I mean, this is shocking. It, it's so different than the way we think of ourselves. Right. But I truly think it's important to understand it because of the fact that we are in such an exponential leap. And we are eventually in the next hundred years, we will meet ET. And when you meet ET, when we as a society meet ET, we need to understand who we are, right? So let me see <laughs> exactly where to where did the hybridization start? Yes. Hybridization started so far back, Ahanu. See, we, we, like, what is hybridization? Hybridization simply is um, merging or bringing together two, two different types, like it could be species or races even, two races that merge and create a third um, is a form of hybridization. Right. So uh, hybridization goes so far back. Now, in terms of our contemporary understanding, over here on this webpage, I have a little list of people, historical figures. We would all call them mythical. We would call them all mythical in one sense, but but they are well they. Um, have clearly been talking about being, you know, hybridizing and being hybrids from day one of recorded history. Okay, and let's start with the kings of Atlantis. Poseidon, who was the god, had ten sons with a human woman. It was five sets of twins. He was a god; she was a, a human, and they had. Uh, the ten sons who became the ten sons of Atlantis. That's hybridization. Right, yes, okay? yes, yes. Yeah, but where did he come from, Krasana, when you call him a, a god? Where did he originate from? Well, that is the big question. You want my answer? <laughs> yeah, give me your answer. The ETs, the ETs on this planet. We, okay, when the ETs came to this planet, in, in our most recent history, which, which let's say it was 400,000 years ago. Okay. Um, they were just very powerful humans. Some of them were human. Some of them uh, were greys. Some of them were reptilian. And they simply were very evolved. And, and so they became gods. We called them gods because compared to the human, short-lived, you know, um, our days were numbered to 120, our, our years were numbered to 120. They looked immortal because they could live a thousand years. And they looked powerful because they were powerful on many different levels mm -hmm. because they were space-faring races. In other words, I had already gone through a sufficient evolution to... Um, to be able to to travel from one planet to another. And we were not even up to the Stone Age yet. Right. <laughs> we were working up to the Stone Age. So, of course, they were powerful. 
and they were called gods. Now, um, the way, and that is that is the English word for it. There's just no other English word for it, right? We could call them, and so language is part of our problem in talking about this because we simply don't have adequate language mm-hmm. to discuss these different um races that came here. I mean, we can call them ETs, or we can call them gods, but that's it. There's no in-between in our in our, langu- in our English language, and in fact, it's so really ridiculous that, you know, by 19, by 1947, our government was fully aware that the many, many UFOs that were appearing were extraplanetary. They were extraterrestrial in origin, but of course they didn't want to admit that for a, a number of reasons. And so the Air Force cooked up this. The Air Force would neither confirm nor deny. That was their answer. Are those extraterrestrials? We can neither confirm nor deny. So they cooked up the, that that little uh, canned response, and they also invented UFO, which stands for unidentified unidentified flying object. So they could talk about reports of flying objects without calling them flying saucers or ETs, right? Or spacecraft. So this whole language we have is totally contorted, totally contrived, and it limits our ability to really discuss the issues in depth because we don't have language for it. So where did the gods came from? They came from other planets. Sometimes they came from other worlds. When I say other worlds, I'm talking about parallel worlds with ours, right? Like our whole concept of what a world is, even that is very contorted and limited to what these bodies can touch, right? That's real and that's a world. But in fact, there are numerous worlds with different frequencies, um, with different timelines. And what you said, Angel, about um, the many timelines, that's exactly correct. That's exactly the way it works. Right. You know, that was from an Akashic record reading. And, and so they simply came from and from a variety of places, but there's also the um, there's the there are traditions where they just they just basically teleport. They just appear, and the Cherokee have stories like that. Um, Mooney's book, I can't remember his first name, um, who recorded the the Cherokee stories. They talked about that and about how. Um, these entities who could simply manifest in front of your face um, appear into children with the Cherokee women. Mm-hmm. And there's another story, the Quinault up in Washington, say they, they uh, the Quinault have um, four clans. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, anyway, they have four different clans, like uh, there'll be a, a bird clan and a and a feline clan and that sort of thing. And I don't remember the four clans. But they have a story that um, 
one of the women um, in the tribe got pregnant, and um, and so she was shunned. She was exiled, and she lived by herself. And she had four puppies, and they called them puppies, right? Well, they, and when her puppies grew up, they became each of the of her puppies became the head of a clan because they were the best hunters and fishers in the tribe, right? So clearly this woman is not breeding with a dog. Mm -hmm, But Sirius is dog star who has a uh, long history in Native America. Mm -hmm. And my contact was, um, is Syrian, and he says he is the ancestor of the Cherokee. And the Cherokee have a book that uh, an ethnologist, Mooney, uh, wrote back in the 1890s. And, and it records in, in these, uh, the stories about how these entities, these men would appear, which usually a man with, with one, with the tribal woman, and, uh, he would go stay with her and they'd have a bunch of babies and then he'd leave. And there was no UFO involved in it the way they tell the story. Krasana, I'm going to just take a little sidetrack here because for some reason as you're talking about this, it's making me think of the Kachinas. And right, my experience of Kachinas was they were kind of otherworldly beings as well. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Listen, I, you know, I'm, I have a, I have my own group, and most people who are in my list server there, because they're interested in these things. They're interested in the soul, and they're interested in psi functions, because I am a UFO contactee, and that was my beginning. That has been, that's what my life has been all about which is very common for UFO experiencers. They become very psychic. They start healing, and they start doing things that in the mainstream culture is like unheard of. It's like impossible, but we're doing it. So um, I will tell you that in my first contact in 1963, I, I had no idea. I was 15 years old. And it was dusk, and I'm uh, I'm running to the store, and I see this light flying in front of me. So I stop, and I'm watching it, and the darn thing, and it was flying like above the houses. I thought, God, you know, I've never seen a helicopter. The only thing I could think of is it was a helicopter, and I'd never seen one in my neighborhood before. This is 1963 in Oklahoma City, and I thought, I wonder what they'd why a helicopter would be here and it started descending straight towards me and when it did that I turned around to run and I was suddenly frozen I couldn't move and I was picked up in a beam of light off the street of Oklahoma City I was taken aboard the craft and I was examined and I went I was pretty hysterical for a while and the, and it was a man, it was a human man who was there with me. And and he reached down and he rubbed my forehead and he told me he he he, he would not harm me. And when I looked at his eyes I, I knew this he's not gonna hurt me. I calmed down 
and then I talked to him. And after that, I became extremely psychic, right? That is typical. That happens in many, many UFO experiences. And, 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 and where they, and they will often do something to your forehead. Well, you know, that's your third eye, right? Yes. But I didn't know that in 1963. And I didn't really understand that what he did was an activation. He activated the third eye. He, in some way, he activated my energy. And um, and suddenly I had all kinds of new perceptions, mm -hmm. and I and and I understood what the life force was, and I had never heard that word, never heard the term life force, and I knew what it was and I used it, you know, and I decided I'm going to go out. My the most important thing I can do in my life is find the life force. So uh, that is what I set out in my life to do. Go find the life force. So that is the reality in which many, many UFO contacts happen. Not all of them. And as you said in one of your sessions, and it was absolutely correct, that often they will pick their own people up. Yes, yes. To activate them. Let's remind our listeners that we're speaking with Chrisana Duran who can be contacted through her website, atlantisphoenix.com. And you're listening to myself, Ahanu, and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. We're going to take a very, very quick little studio break. But when we come back, Chrisanna, you've covered how the, the human hybridization has happened up to now, going back into ancient history, and the evidence of... ETs on the planet right now. So when we come back after this short little break, can you address whether we have been hybridized to the best ability or whether we've been thwarted? In other words, could we have gone down another timeline where we were superhuman or whether we, whether, you know, are we on the right track? In other words, is what I'm trying to, trying to ask you, or whether there are other possibilities for us, depending on okay. what kind of hybridization took place. So just bear with us for a moment. We'll be right back after this. Okay. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. And welcome back to our program today with Chrisana Duran. And we are speaking about oh, a lot of the ETs and ET origins and ET activations and the human and how the human got to be where it is. So before the break, Ahanu was asking Krasana to come back and talk to us about, really we're asking about the manipulation of the human DNA. And I know part of his motivation is, and perhaps you can include this, Krasana, in your answer, he's, you know, we hear so much about how the Anunnaki came here and downstepped the human 
So we'd like clarification on that, if you have any information about that. And also, you know, were we at one time much more evolved than we are now? So that's really what we're after. Okay. Okay. I'm going to tell you what Maze, the Arcturian, who is the monitor for Bigfoot. The Arcturians introduced Bigfoot, Neanderthal, and Cro-Magnon. They, they introduced all three. Okay. And around 300,000 years ago. But what you have to understand is that there were already many, many hundreds of millions of years of evolution on this planet that, and they were human. And what we call the Elohim were a human species that had lived on this planet millions and millions of years ago and then left. And then apparently, and, 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 and our evolution is totally tied into planetary conditions. So our planet, as you, Angel, Angel have discussed in your Akashic readings, which, again, totally concur, concurs with my information, is that this planet originally broke up, was a part of what is now the asteroid belt. It broke, it, it shattered, the, uh, when that planet shattered, the largest piece came into the orbit of Earth. But that doesn't make it a planet, and it certainly doesn't make it a life-bearing planet. First of all, you had to stabilize the orbit. Because you've got to understand, what a, it had no atmosphere. The atmosphere didn't exist. And fortunately, it had a remnant of a magnetic, of a magnetic core. But that magnetic core had to be brought back to life. And without that magnetic core, there, this would no longer, this would not have been a life-bearing planet. Okay. So, bringing that remnant that broke off and is now the Earth, bringing it back to life was um, just millions and millions of years of work. It had to build an atmosphere. The pl they had to get that magnetic core um, stable. They had, to, they had to spark it. They had to get it working. They had to stabilize the orbit. And there was no atmosphere. At that time, in the early beginning, um, the only life that existed on this, that could live on this planet, was in the water. Because the ultraviolet radiation was so high. Alright, so this is to say that this planet has been badly damaged from, from that, when it shattered out of that asteroid belt. And so, it is still unstable, and it periodically goes through huge changes that not all planets do. In other words, this planet goes through a lot of periodic changes that other planets do not. So the ability to bear life is totally tied to the condition of the planet at any given time. Right. And, and, and the Elohim had been here, 
And apparently there was another series of big earth changes, and they left. And this was millions and millions of years ago. And the Elohim were and still are a human race. But they're a very ancient human race, very, very, very ancient. So at one point, the Arcturian, and, and they are connected, they are connected to Arcturus, and they were thinking of returning about a million and a half years ago. They they were thinking of returning to this planet. So they, they uh, Bigfoot, which is originally um, seated here, um, to monitor the Earth conditions. And, and he had to be a human species because they had to get readings, they had to get reactions of the human genome to the planetary conditions. And um, Mays said there are gases on this planet that are really harmful that we have not learned how to detect. So that was one of Bigfoot's original purposes. So they put him here as, to do a test run. How does he do? You know, um, is he being affected by these gases? And um, because of the, of the periodic changes the planet goes through because it was so badly damaged. So it's not a matter of have we been, okay, at that point, it's not a question of are we being downstepped? Or is our, this our best evolution? It's a question of what life will this planet support? Okay. At that time, which was 300,000, approximately 300,000 years ago. So Bigfoot was, they, okay, that's when it, Bigfoot was introduced, but they started developing the species about a million and a half years ago. So you don't just you know, go in, get a test tube and a Petri dish and, and mix up a batch of hybrids. They have to be acclimated to the environment in which they're going to survive. And 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 so they, they tried many different species, and I'm talking primate species, mm-hmm. and, and, and mix and with the true human Elohim DNA. And they finally found the species that was big, strong, fast, and very smart, which Bigfoot is, who could survive the conditions he would have to survive. And um, and and like I said, this this occurred over million years, million and a half years. They finally had a really viable hybrid, which was Bigfoot. They introduced him here. But in the meantime, they had also developed several other branches, which was Homo erectus was one of them. But Homo erectus, there were several different family lines of Homo erectus. There wasn't just one Homo erectus. There were variations. They were experimenting what will be able to survive on this planet at this time in the wild. Well, and they were using, when they got Bigfoot and Neanderthal, they were using human genes, right? And, and, and what that means is that they were using the Elohim's own genes to hybridize a viable species for our planetary conditions. And then the, uh, and the, um, 
the Sumerians, uh, May said that Sitchin's account is actually pretty accurate. However, he said the inaccuracies, the historical inaccuracies, were from the Sumerians themselves. That Sitchin had correctly translated and interpreted their literature, but they were they they weren't completely uh, forthcoming about their about themselves, and um, they did downstep the Sumerians. Okay, but there's another part to this story, and this is covered in on my webpage. I have a, an article called Mystery Ancestors. And that article was published in Nature Journal. And, you know, up until this time, again, we're, we're into just our basic naivete and ignorance. You know, when Darwin introduced, uh, introduced um, his theory of evolution, you know, it looked like this very, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny when you look at it because it was like you had all these polite um, uh, ancestors. Uh, you know, everyone very politely uh, fit into their slot of time, and then they disappeared, and then the next uh, branch came in. It, it was just a Victorian model of behavior that Darwin wrote into his theory. Yes. Well, now that we've got DNA testing, let me tell you, it was not anything like Darwin thought. And I'll read the, the um, this is on that page, the ET Human Hybrids. Uh, the journal, you know, you know journal, uh, Nature Journal is a prestigious science uh, journal. Yes. And I, this is a quote directly out of it. It says, mystery humans spiced up ancient sex life. And what, and what this is about is the, and what has now been discovered is that there was not just one not even just two human ancestors. There were a number of them, and they were all interbreeding with each other, right? You've got the Neanderthals, and they're sharing a cave with the Denisova species. And then you've got Cro-Magnon, and he's screwing around with Neanderthal. So you had a number of early human species that were all not at all Victorian in their sex lives. They right, yes. were yes. Uh, spicing it up. <laughs> and so we got, yeah, so that is the way it really happened. And this scientist, I loved his quote. He says, we're looking at a Lord of the Rings type world, that there were many hominid populations. Okay. Um, and that's in the article. And it's on my, on my page. And so, it was, and, me... and, and this is really what Mays had described to Ida. He says, yeah, we had this going and we had that going. And our Darwinian thing was, well, let's see. Neanderthal came in and then he never had sex with anyone but Neanderthals. 
You know, yes. I mean, it just totally reflected the Victorian mindset, yeah. and that is not the way it happened. Let me stop you there just for so, a moment, though, Chrisanna, because you mentioned about the human uh, being ignorant, and I was certainly ignorant of a lot of this terminology for a long time. So, so as our listeners will understand, you've mentioned about maze quite a number of times, and Ida Cannenberg, yeah. didn't she publish a diary of her discussions with the Arcturian maze who represented the Absolutely. Arcturian monitors for B Bigfoot? Yeah. Now, let me also just read something that you sent us last July, and it's purely by way of background information, just to help people understand what is Arcturus. Okay. You did say that it's located in the Boots constellation. Arcturus is the right. fourth, fourth brightest star in the night sky with a long and bountiful history among indigenous peoples. The constellation was commonly called Arcturus in the ancient Near East, honouring the orange giant star only 36.7 light-years from Earth. Arcturus is named as the Yoke or Shudan in the Babylonian star catalogue, and the sleeping prophet right. Edgar Cayce named very few stars in 14,000 readings, but he described Arcturus as the centre of the sun's orbit and a stargate several times. So that's a very, very interesting background for people to understand when you mention about either Maze or Arcturus. And of course, the Polynesian navigators knew Arcturus as the star of joy and used it to navigate the Pacific. That's absolutely correct. That is Arcturus. And it is really interesting that, that um, Casey, Edgar Casey mentioned very few stars, very few. But he mentioned Arcturus on several times, and he says, Our sun orbits Arcturus. And, um, and then he also talked about Arcturus as a stargate. Are you Arcturian? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that How was a, you know? that was just a logical conclusion. <laughs> I have Arcturian connections. Yes. And um, my contacts are Arcturian, and I guess they always have been. And the Arcturian is a human species. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about human, you know, like Bigfoot, he doesn't look like you and me, right? But he's human. And what makes him human is the capacity to process mind and soul. Right. Okay? Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and that is... And, and, and uh, the Native Americans are most similar to the Arcturians. Of all the races on Earth today, Native Americans are most similar to the Arcturians. Now, in, in Native America, um, I don't know how, it's the Native American culture, our basic underlying premise is really um, so different than the European premise. And so, the, what you see in Europe, in the European culture, largely comes from the Sumerians and Pleiadian and Aldebaran. And what you see in Native America is largely uh, Arcturus, um, Orion, and Sirius. Okay? Mm -hmm. And they are radically different theories of civilization because um, in Sumer, in, in Sitchin Sumer, everything, I mean, they were just totally, everything was tied to genetics. 
like um uh um it's just, it was just genetically based um and and your birth order right so they were totally totally tied into the importance of genetics and native american um had absolutely uh, no no aristocracy the way europe did you know and and the entire the the in 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 europe you have all these different classes of people it's all genetically based you have your monarchs you have your aristocracy and then you have your vassals and it's all by birth and in native america we didn't have any of that right. it, didn't, it just didn't work like that and it was a meritocracy it's all about merit mm-hmm. and it was a knowledge based uh wisdom knowledge based culture so there is your basic difference between the Sumerians and the um, uh, and Native America. So, in the Sumerians actually probably did not believe in slaves, right? So if you were a human or if you were of a genetic sufficient genetic status, you would not be a slave. So um, in order to to make humans workers, in other words, servants, and in, in sort of like slavery, to put them to work in the mines and to do work, it they could not be on on a par with the Sumerians themselves genetically. <clears throat> so I do not right. know. Did that make sense? Yes. Absolutely, they have to yes. downstep our genetics to yes. make us workers. Yes, yes, yes. This is answering so much for us, Chrisanna, because certainly I know coming from Ireland and that Celtic culture and very much aware of mm-hmm. the that whole um, social hierarchy, as you, as you mentioned, right. that comes from the kings and queens history. And then for me to right. be familiar now with the Native American culture, I've many, many times wondered why there is such a difference and wh- where that difference would have originated from. And you've put that all into place for me and helped me understand it. And it makes absolutely clear sense. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, it is. The Arcturians are, are let, let me put it like this. The Arcturians <clears throat> um, develop evolutions to suit the soul, right? So if you've got a young soul group, you're gonna, they're not, you, you need a, a physical evolution that is suitable for a young soul group. Right. Right? And, and so that is the way the Arcturians do their business. The Sumerians, on the other hand, are totally, like we discussed, into genetics. And genetic, it's a genetic hierarchy is what it is. And, um, and the Arcturians and the Sumerians apparently had more than a few, um, close encounters between themselves over that issue. Excuse the pun. Right. <laughs> because when the Sumerians came here and, and it's like they didn't just, uh, go out and, 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 and find 
a, you know, a, a species that just happened to be suitable for hybridizing, Homo erectus, which is what um, uh, Sitchin believes they used, and I, from May's, I would understand it wasn't just like, it, there were many variants on Homo erectus. But anyway, he wasn't just accidentally running around in, in their backyard. He was, he was, and the Arcturians had worked with, he was, he was on his way to a human evolution already. Hmm. And when the Sumerians came here, they said, oh, this guy's a nuisance. Which is basically exactly what Sitchin, they, they had one text, it's in uh, the 12th planet, where they have a homo, they described in detail in their literature, this, how, what a nuisance homo, you know, this, this human-like creature was, Homo erectus, and they would set traps for the animals, and Homo erectus would set the animals free. So the first thing they did was they tried to civilize him, and the, and the text described sending a pleasure girl, you got to get this, a pleasure girl, down to stay with him with, with a particular Homo erectus that was particularly annoying for something like six days and seven nights and it didn't work where have we heard that before yeah that's a that's an interesting story that i think has been told in several different ways in some famous books that are handed down to us right and it's in it's in sitchin's 12th planet okay but so what did they do they just re-engineered him to make him obedient to uh, make him useful and more intelligent as a worker. But we're talking about an existing evolution that was already here when they arrived that was on its way into a human evolution. So basically what they did was just re-engineering, take him, you know, to keep him out of trouble because he was a nuisance to the Sumerians. And so there were a lot of conflict between the Sumerians and and the Arcturians. And Mays said in the book, and it's all they're all on this one page. He said, "East, okay." So Mays said at one point they gathered up uh, uh, Bigfoot, Neanderthal, and um, and Cro-Magnon, and they took them to the Pacific, to the West, to which was Lemuria. He says, they were our new, they were the citizens of our new country. So the Arcturians said, we're just going to create our, uh, Lemuria and we're going to take, uh, uh, and they didn't take every wandering creature. They, t- they selected which of the um, Bigfoot and Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon they were going to take with them. And they took them to Lemuria and started Lemuria with them. And he said they all lived there together, but they left others in Europe and um, in that other part of the world. So, so there was a rigid, and then there was conflict between the Sumerians and the Arcturians um, over, um, I guess, over, you know, these issues, the human issues, and and uh, 
And what's interesting is I have a video called Neanderthal on Neurodiversity. And they said, you know what's really funny? This is a scientist talking about it. He says, we all have Neanderthal. You know, Neanderthal is part of our human evolution. But the Neanderthal in Europe is different than the Neanderthal in um, in America. Huh. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And it, really, he says, we, we don't know why. It's all Neanderthal, but it's expressed differently. Interesting. Well, Mays explained this in 1998. They took their Neanderthal. They selected the ones they were going to take. They took them to Lemuria. And they left other ones there with the Sumerians. And what you got in in the European and the African, Neanderthal is a different gene expression than what you get in Native America. And what's even stranger, this I mean, this is on the video. The scientists are talking about it. They said there was not supposed to have been Neanderthal in the Papuan, P-A-P-U-A-N, you know, like Papua New Guinea. He says, but it's in their it's in it's in their their genome. How did it get there? We don't we didn't know that they had. Well, it's right out there on the Pacific next to Lemuria. So I know how it got there. <laughs> you know, it's like the Arcturians took them to Lemuria, and then Lemuria sank, and 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 we moved to um, the coastal along the Pacific Ring. And uh, your Native American is your basic um, uh, Arcturian species. With our, you know, and our and our Neanderthal gene expression is different. Would well, that include the Native Hawaiians also, Chrisanna? Absolutely. Right. And so, what you see in these cultures is very much the Arcturian uh, culture. But now, the thing about it is that. They know, and when they when you can't just like I said, you can't just go in and and mix up a hybrid in a test tube. You you, you there's acclim you know you got to acclimate. There's planetary conditions, environmental conditions, and then this planet goes through major changes periodically because of its history. So your DNA will activate in different ways over long periods of time. And we are now in a in a period where our DNA is activating. The geneticists call it um, junk DNA because they just didn't know what it did, right? But it's like, well, you know, now the American geneticists call it junk. The Soviets and the Russians never did. They just had a whole different view of DNA than than American scientists did. <clears throat> So um, we are now, and that is one of the first things they told me when they started contacting me in 1987, that we are in a process of activation. The DNA has always been there. It simply was not activated yet, that the activation of DNA is largely tied to planetary conditions. So the answer to your question, Ahanu, is... um, the the very ancient, you know, 300 million years ago, um, there were humans on this planet. I would say they were the Elohim. 
but the planetary conditions were different 300 million years ago right. than they are right now. So, so what, what, how DNA is, how your gene expression is activated is totally tied into planetary and galactic conditions, solar and galactic and planetary conditions. So, um, we, and and then on the other hand, I would say, and 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 Native Americans, the Native peoples, the indigenous peoples that are um, with the Arcturians, have been developed for different, for a different human evolution, right? Um, and the Sumerians uh, used they the the those who were in their area were, um, and I I. I would say, you see, you you can manipulate genetic expression in several different ways, and it's called epigenetics. And well, your nuclear DNA isn't changed, but the the thing is, on the Neand at the Neanderthal level, there is there are differences uh, between Europe, Africa, and and in the Americas. Right. And um, and I would say the Sumerians developed their people. I call them their people. Right to be obedient, to be, to be. They didn't have to be brilliant. They just had to be semi-skilled. And Lord forbid, you don't want them to be too psychic, you know, because yeah. then they're going to figure things out. <laughs> Whereas Native America, it was like, I mean, psi is a way of life in Native America. You know, it's the foundation yes. of the culture. Mm-hmm. And so there's. Did I answer your question? Yes. You did. I have a further question, and it's more bringing things up to the present day, because obviously with what you've said, it's completely understandable now why there are some people who just naturally, totally, you know, get the higher evolution thing, and other people, they're just not wired to understand it. So that's that's makes it very clear. But what I want to know is... Absolutely. Is it, as we've heard rumor lately, I forgot where we heard it actually, but it ties into the ET abductions and the the whole idea that, you know, people get abducted, the aliens take some of their genetic material, they create a uh, a, a baby or another life form, and then they're putting that hybrided life form back onto the earth and so the rumor is you know the big question number one are they doing this number two is it a takeover attempt of the human race or what's happening with that so have you heard of that Krasana and if so can you comment I have heard about it I have seen it happen okay and it is true now but you see, that's how we were introduced to this planet. You see, there's nothing unusual about that. Right. What's unusual? It, it is like Adam and Eve. Look at what happened in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. If that's not hybridization, you know, then what? What is it? Right. I mean, yeah. I've got a whole list. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes. Okay, I don't know how to in in the in the galactic 
environment in the galactic community, and there is a galactic community, right? It's space-faring races. Um, these very evolved, very ancient, very old um, species, like like the Aloha, um, they their currency, the 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 coin of their realm, isn't. Anything like the Federal Reserve, it's about life and life forms. So there, there are civilizations, and their whole impetus is to start life on planets, to boost the capacity of planets to support life. I mean, like this planet was once just a piece of rock, you know, after it shattered off from the asteroid belt. So. They they have such a different viewpoint. Yes, yes. On what value is than we do. And is this part of our growing awareness, Chrisana, that you that you mention, where we would look at human hybridization in the bigger picture as opposed to thinking of it as a threat? Absolutely. Right. Because, like with the Arcturians and with my teachers, I will tell you that um, my teachers are so much like the Himalayan adepts. What I know about Hinduism is what they taught me. You know, I mean, since I was a kid. Yes. um, I would say the Hindu, uh, the Vedas, come from this group that I'm connected to. And so my education has been very much into very much the um, the Hindu and Native American and Tibetan, and they do have a common root, by the way, those cultures. Absolutely. We don't have yes. time to go into it. Yeah. Um, but um, in, that, in that viewpoint, in that realm, consciousness and evolution of the soul is where it's at. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is what they do. It's like, why you, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a geneticist, you know. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm a planetary scientist. Yes. And um, that raises another question. And you did mention time, and we only have, in the, in the short 10 minutes that we've left, I'd really like to know, when you mentioned about being a geneticist, or whatever one might work at, do you think part of the growth of awareness is stimulated synchronistically, <laughs> there's a big word, synchronistically through your life? In other words, are you where you are as part of your growth of awareness? In other words, if somebody, say, travels to Egypt, for example, out of interest, and, or somebody is born Native American out of their, gen, their, their family history, or somebody is born rich or poor, are these circumstances part of their own opening up to awareness, do you think? Or is it purely random? Oh, God, there's nothing random about it. Okay. It's like if you incarnate in a... Uh, the, my basic assumption is that everything a person needs, the entire life path is... And everything you need for your evolution in a life you get it the day you're born. In other words, right. you incarnate into the conditions 
that you need to deal with in that in in a lifetime. Right. Yes. 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 Right. And or the only exception to that would be if you are so clean. That means you are so resolved. You have handled everything that you need to handle, and you come back to assist. And that would be a bodhisattva, right? Um, right. You, you didn't have to come back, but you did. Other right. than that, the conditions of your life that you that you inherit the day you're born, and that means your parents, your family, your body, your genetics, they are what you need to do, they are they are your prescription for evolution in this lifetime so you're born with everything you need the day you're born right yeah Kristan, i just want to go back to the the hybrid question on the earth because i can see how we would have you know currently new species are being created and put back on the earth from higher ets but is is the same thing happening with ETs that we would consider, you know, not really interested in soul growth? If you could give that about two minutes, Chrisanna, because we need to wind down very shortly now. Okay, I will. Now, ask me that question again because I didn't I'm talking it. about the hybridization that's going on now with, with the abductions, and um, there's obviously genetic things going on now with ETs. My question is, is when they put some of those beings back onto the planet, I can understand how there'd be some higher evolved uh, genetic things going on to put, you know, to me the advanced children are evidence of that. But what about some of the ETs that really just still want to keep uh, enslavement going on? Are they creating their own type of hybrid using our genetics and putting those hybrids back on the earth who are interested in, who are not interested in soul growth, let's say? Um, I would say uh, that they would if they could. But I think that we have had such a knockdown drag out in the last 5,000 years over this, that this planet is monitored so closely that you really have to have a permission slip to do that sort of thing. Because one group is watching the other group, right? Um, and 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 the different groups diddle with each other's contactees. By the way, you know, um, and Sitchin outlines this. I'll make this real fast. Sitchin outlines wherever in Inky went, Enlil would follow along behind him and stir up the pot, right? Yeah, we saw that. And and I. I think you've got a situation like that, but I think there's a real limitation in what they're able to do because there is a lot of eyes, a lot of attention on this planet because we have had such a knockdown drag out. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Let us mm -hmm. just conclude there, Chrisanna. I, I want to just do a quick summary of what we've covered today, and then we'll bring you back just to do uh, your own little quick wrap-up of that discussion today on human hybridization. We started off talking about Sananda and channeling and entities, and then you really stirred the pot very early on when you talked about three-parent embryos and your own meeting of ETs. 
We discussed the gods of old and you mentioned about Poseidon with five sets of twins and the origin of all of that and the ancient aliens. You discussed the Arcturians and how they introduced Bigfoot, Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon man and you enlightened us with how the Elohim were human and connected to Arcturus. Our evolution being tied to planetary conditions and then you talked about the origins of earth and how it was badly damaged you talked about edgar casey and his mentions of arcturus in his readings the native american how they originated out of orion sirius and arcturus as opposed to the european coming out of the pleiades and giving rise to the sumerian cultures you discussed with us then the whole idea of meritocracy and wisdom-based cultures and that genetic hierarchy. We talked about the Neanderthal being different in Europe as opposed to in the Americas, how Lemuria was populated and how that led to the Native American and Hawaiian gene expression. You talked about how we're in this time of growth of awareness now due to DNA activation and the life path of our human growth of awareness. All in all, it's been an absolutely enlightening discussion. So do you want to give us a very, very quick closing statement there, perhaps summarize your own work that you've been doing to date and give us also how people can contact you? Okay. Well, Atlantis Phoenix is my website. Um, all of my books are there. And there is a there is a page on the ET human hybrids. I list a few well-known hybrids, and I and I list how this they have, the areas that they affect the areas of our existence they affect. And I have a bunch of articles here, and I I continue to do uh, my Time Star uh, predictions and. Um, I am, oh, and I am writing a book uh, on uh, Flight 370 and what happened ah. on that. Okay, that's interesting. We'll have to talk uh, about that another on that day. baby. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm doing. Thank okay. you for asking. All right. We do have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. We've been speaking with Chrisanna Duran about human hybridization, and you have been listening to myself, Ahanu, and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. Do remember that Angel Rose's book, A Time of Change, is at a atatimeofchange.info. Her new book, The Nature of Reality, is at thenatureofreality.info. The Akashic Records are online every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. You can get more information there at worldofempowerment.com. And if you'd like to be on the show, if you have a spiritual business or a book you'd like to discuss, do contact us at angelrose.com because next week it could be you. So until next Saturday, we send you our love, our blessings, and thank you for listening to myself, Ahanu, and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán agus Benacht de Live Galair. Chrisana, talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire and living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series.
with Angel Rose and Ahanu. <laughs> <laughs>